It's always a, a privilege to be with you guys. Um, I, I do recognize that uh, I think at a young age is when I started being pretty annoying to my parents. Anybody relate to that with their children? Um, and on some level, I feel like a spiritual son to RCC, and I'm grateful for that. But one of the ways that I think kids are most annoying is just that they say why all the time, right? And I'm a why guy, and I don't think that's a bad thing. In fact, I think Jesus was a why guy. In fact, I really do believe that if you lose your why, you'll lose your way. So part of why the kids are frustrating, at least to me as a parent sometimes, is they're always saying why. And for me, it's a challenge to go, yeah, why do we do that? What is the goal? What is the, the end in mind? What are we actually after? Because if we lose our why, we lose our way. Now, how many of you guys have ever heard of Southwest Airlines? Have you heard about them? So we chuckle because I'm convinced on some level this was an organization that may have lost their why. In fact, it was me and, and millions, it felt like, of other people the first and second weeks of January, holiday season, that had their vacations canceled. Anyone have a vacation canceled by Southwest? Or just, okay. So again, we're motivated for people to not lose their why because when they do, they forget what they're about. In fact, for Southwest, there are leadership journals that are being written right now. There will continue to be leadership journals that will be written about Southwest Airlines because when you lose your why, it comes at a deep cost to those around you, Right? It's painful. It hurts. For Southwest, there was leadership transitions. And again, Southwest didn't call me for leadership coaching, just to clarify. But as I've read these articles, I've discovered the reality that for them, they shifted away from people and started to look at profits a little more. And they missed some things in the process. In fact, they actually neglected their processes. Their pilots, their employees were telling them, guys, we got to pay attention to our processes. They're, they missed so much that they started to lose their people. They didn't know where their people were. Like we had staff and friends at Vintage that literally were like in the wrong towns at the wrong places. And I missed my Utah vacation, okay? So there was a cost that came to me and to countless other people as a result of that. And so today I want to pause just for a moment. I want to pull back the curtain, not of Southwest Airlines, but of Jesus's prayer life. That's where John's taking us in the series. Jesus has been focused from the mission that he got from the Father. There was a why. Do you remember why Jesus came? He tells us. I'm thankful when people tell us their why ahead of time so we don't have to guess. What are they after again? Jesus says, I came to seek and to what? To save the lost. That's my why. Now, at RCC, we say that our number one value is what? Does anyone know our value? It's probably written in our worship floors. I hope you know it, that we believe that there is more what? Joy in Jesus than anything or anyone else. And so Jesus comes to this earth sent by the Father to raise up followers of him. Why? So that we would find more joy in him, but ultimately so that God would get more glory. That was the why. So don't ever get confused, even though it's our number one value that we would find more joy. Really, the highest priority is not your joy. It's actually God's glory. But God is most glorified, John Piper says, when you and I are most satisfied in him. But that's actually how God gets the most glory. And so Jesus comes to this earth with a very clear why. To glorify the Father to make disciples and to invite people to follow him in this journey of faith. And so at RCC, at Vintage, we say a disciple is someone that lives our cubed, deepening with God, our one, life-changing with other believers, our two, and then engaging with the yet-to-believe world. That's our three. And so in your John series, it really is probably my favorite book of the Bible. Now, I often just say that because it's whatever book I'm studying that week, so just so we're on the same page. 
So this week it was John, but I love the book of John. In John, we get to pull back the curtain because the author gives us this insight into the person and the king, Jesus. Have you ever noticed that lasting words are lasting? One of my roles as a pastor is to sit with people as they're engaging in their last breaths. I'm always curious to hear what someone wants to pass on to those around them. And so the part of John that we're in the middle of right now as a church family is the last words of Jesus. It's one of my favorite parts of the gospel of John. It's John 14, really through through 18. And in that farewell message from Jesus, he reminds his disciples of the why. He reminds them of to the what, what is he actually after? And in Jesus' last words in John chapter 15, a part of this series that you're in right now, guess what he focuses on? R cubed. Look, I love RCC, but the best part about RCC is that they're just faithfully following Jesus. We, RCC, did not make up R cubed. You know who did? Jesus. In his last words, what does he tell us as his followers? He says, here's what I want for you. I want you to have a deepening relationship with God. If you remember, turn with me to John chapter 15. Here's what he actually says to us. He says, by this, if you would abide in me, by this, verse 8, my Father is glorified. I want you to abide so that the Father would be glorified because that's the highest priority. That's what we see in our one. If you would abide, then my Father would get glory. I want you to have fruits. I want the glory of God to go up, and I want his blessings to come down. One of the primary fruits in John 15 is that we would have a family. I love Sunday mornings. When I come back, whenever Todd invites me back, I feel like it's a family reunion. Do you feel that way sometimes? I hope that's not just because someone came back after a few months. I hope every Sunday is like a family reunion. Why? Because we were on the battlefield Monday through Friday, and then we come back together on Sunday, and we are coming for the glory of God. We're coming to remind each other the why behind the what, to what do we do, why do we do it for the glory of God, and he puts us in this life-changing relationship. And so what does Jesus tell us in John 15? Abide, 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 abide in me, our one, and then together you do that as a family. And then you go love. You go love, and when you go love, if you keep reading in John 15, you'll see that as we abide, we get to receive the joy of Jesus. It's not just something that we possess as Christians. I hope it's something we profess as well. That as believers who trust and treasure Jesus, we in theory are the happiest people in the world. Why? Because there's no bad news in the kingdom of God. Because we know the final score. Because we already know that God wins. And so that's this life-changing relationship that we get to share. And Jesus reminds us in his last words, abide in me. I've given you a family to be together with. It's why we do family dedications. I love the way, Drew, you just said it. Hey, I need help raising my child. It's a we thing. And you all said yes. Did you see that? When Todd prayed and you all said amen, that means I agree. You said, I'm with you. I'm with you, Drew. This isn't just a you thing. This is a corporate thing. It's one of the great lies of Satan that you have a personal relationship with Jesus. That's a half-truth. That's the business Satan lives in, half-truths. The reality is we have a corporate relationship, a life-changing one that we get to live together for the purpose of God's glory and for the purpose of us being sent, John 15 says. He says, now I'm going to send you. The world's going to hate you. Christians, do we hate anybody? Let me protect you before you answer? The answer is no. We just sang a song this morning that God so loves the world. We love the things the person we follow loves. If God loves the world, then so do we. Now, Jesus does tell us, be careful, the world's going to hate you, but they actually hate me because you follow me. But we hate nobody, church. 
We pursue the yet-to-believe world. We engage with them. We love them. And that's Jesus' final words. How are we going to love them in an R3 context? By loving each other in an R2 context, by being a part of a family that's so contagious. The world wants love so bad, they're looking for it in all the wrong places. What they're looking for is Jesus. And so Jesus, at his last supper, at his last words that are lasting, he says these things to remind us. And so today we're going to look at John 17. So John 15 was a few months ago. Today's John 17. But it maps the same, and I want you to see it before we read the text. The same things that Jesus tells you, here's what should matter most to you, he then prays for you. Because we believe at RCC and at Vintage Grace that prayer is the work. And so Jesus prays. Here's what John does. I have no idea how John heard this prayer. He doesn't tell us in the text. I don't know if he's eavesdropping. I don't know if Jesus said, hey, I just got back and this is what I said. But somehow John gets a front row seat, not just to the last words of Jesus. He was there for that. But now he has a front row seat to the prayer of Jesus. You want to know what sits on the throne of people's hearts? What do they pray for? And so we get a a vision right now through the recording of John of what sits on the throne of Jesus' heart. Have you ever thought about that? Like what sits on the throne of Jesus' heart? Well, himself, his father, and now he's going to pray this for us. He's going to pray the glory priority in John 15. He's going to pray that we would have a unity as the church that the yet-to-believe world has never seen and will never see again. And then he's going to pray that our unity would send us out by the work of the Holy Spirit to live on mission. And so as we get started today, if we're going to look at the prayer life of Jesus, we should probably pray. Would you pray with me? Just open your hands to receive. Spirit of God, our hands are open. Would our body lead us right now, Spirit, to receive whatever you have for us? Jesus, you came and you modeled for us how to live, how to pray, how to be your people. Following you as our rabbi, as you glorify the Father and you put us in this community that we call Richfield, would you do a work to us and through us for the yet-to-believe world that's looking for joy right now, we pray. Speak, Spirit, for your glory and for our joy. And we say this in your name's sake. And everybody said, amen. Here's my summary statement for today. Here's what I think John does for us in the text. John has been encouraging us with just his last words in the upper room discourse. Today, he's going to go even deeper. He's going to pull back the curtain and give us this front row seat to Jesus' prayer life, which will remind us the why of all things. Because if we lose our why, we'll lose our way. But here's the reality. The depth of our why will determine the length of our what. And so Jesus tells us the depth of the why of everything he does. Our prayers will reveal to us what sits on the throne of our heart. And here's my prayer for us, RCC. May our whys mirror his whys for the Father's glory, for our unity, and for the joy of those, and for the good of the yet to believe. May that be our fruit. Now, Jesus has been telling us so far in the logic and flow of the text, three different times he says, if you seek and if you ask, I will answer. Three times he said that. He said that in John 14, that I am asking that you would glorify the Son. He says that the second time that they would bear fruit, and Todd last week said it. The third time, that as you seek and as you pray and as you ask, my prayer is that your joy would be full because you actually get what you want. But here's my biggest prayer, that you actually want the glory of God. That that's actually the focus of everything you do. Now today, by God's grace, Todd is a giver. And so he gave me three sermons in one today. And so please hear my heart. My covenant is to not talk too fast. I will. But here's my ask of you. Go to life group this week. Spend time in the text. 
Sunday we talk about it as a family, but our hope and desire is that every day you're opening the word of God, that you're hearing from the Spirit himself as he wrote it for you, and that you start to understand what it looks like on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. But that's not going to happen today. So there's my promise. I will leave you wanting more because I won't touch the depth of what this text has to be. Go to life group. Get in a community of faith. If you're not in one, find one. Huggins will help you out. But here's where we're going today. The throne of Jesus' heart, the prayer. Here's where we're going to start. Verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son would glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who have given him, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, that they would know you through me. I, Father Jesus, have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Is there a word in that prayer that jumps out at you at all? Five verses, he says it five times. Anybody see it? Glory. There's a glory priority for Jesus. So don't ever misunderstand when we say at RCC that there's more joy in Jesus, that that is not the highest priority. That's the biggest implication for you and I because everyone wakes up every morning wanting to be happier tomorrow than they are today. But the truth of the matter is you're never going to be happy unless you actually meet the Father. And so Jesus comes, the why behind the what, he comes to make a way for you to meet the Father. That's what gives the Father glory. And so he says it five times in five short verses. Here's my priority, Father. You sent me to glorify you. I have glorified you. Now would you glorify me so that I can even more so glorify you. As we've been following the life of Jesus, the Gospel of John, we've heard Jesus say, I don't do anything the Father doesn't want me to do. He's so connected to the Father. The intimacy between him and the Father is so high that he is only praying and watching and stepping as the Father leads him to step. That's what we see. That's what this R1 focus is. That comes from John 5. He never did anything that the Father didn't tell him to do. Here's the second reality for Jesus. That's R1 in Jesus' prayer life. Here's R2. I, Jesus, have manifested your name, Father, to the people who you gave me out of the world. There are people in the world that didn't know you, that now know you. You've called them out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. They become faithful. Now, again, how faithful is the early church? That's not his point, because our faithfulness to God is rooted in Jesus' faithfulness to God. I mean, how good was Peter at being faithful? If you look back at the story, he wasn't. But Jesus was faithful through him. This is the beauty of the glory of God. This is the beauty of salvation. This is the beauty of the cross. We are no longer judged based on what we've done, but based on what he's done for us. Somebody say amen. Remember, amen just simply means I agree, pastor, or I'm not asleep yet. In the Greek, it literally means yes and amen. I agree. We as Christians are not faithful apart from Christ's faithfulness to us and through us. And it's about God's glory. It's about his priority. They are yours now because of what I've done to make them yours. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them. And they have known the truth that I came from you. They have believed. That's a key word to John that you have sent me. And I'm praying for them. And I'm not praying for the world. But for those whom you have given me out of the world. Those are the ones that are yours. He goes on in verse 10. He says, all mine are yours. Yours are mine. And I have glorified them. God is most glorified when we are called out of the world, when we get off the throne of our heart and when we trust and treasure him. Jesus says, and I am no longer in the world, 
but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Would you keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they might be one, even as we are one? Now, do you see how 17 matches 15? He's saying the same thing. The lasting words was to the disciples, this is his heart before the Father. We get this picture because John gives it to us. While I, Jesus, was with them, I kept them in your name, Father, which you gave me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction by your sovereignty, and that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you with these things, and I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. Why? Because they've got off the throne of their heart, because their joy is in me, and their joy is now complete. That's what we see in verse 13. Their joy is complete. He goes on, and he says this, verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. They follow me. I'm of you. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me to the world, so now I send them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they might also be sanctified in truth. Here's Jesus' commitment to you. He loves you. He saves you. He's sanctifying you. All for the purpose of the glory of God. That's the priority. And what does he say here in, in verse 18? And I'm going to send them. I'm going to send them. And that's the text I want us to pause for a little bit and zoom in on now for the majority of our time today. Why does he send us? Glory of God, for the good of the family, and for the good of those who are yet to believe. And so let's, let's zoom in on verse 20. I do not ask these for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and that I am in you. So the language we like to use is communitas. Communitas has two definitions, a common master and a common mission. Look at the common master here. What does Jesus pray to the Father? Father, I want them to have what you and I have. I want them to be found in you just like I as your son am found in you. I want that to be the core marker of the church, that they would be united in me. One of, again, my greatest fears in the Church of America is we love independence. It's cultural. We have documents about that. And please hear me, I am proud sometimes to be an American. But please hear me, I am not an American, I'm a follower of Christ. That's my marker, that's my name, that's who I want to be found in. And in Christ, you know what Christ modeled? Christ did not model independence. What did he model? Interdependence. With the Father, with the Son, with the Spirit, three in one. How does the Trinity work? I don't know. Email me, Todd C at richfieldcc.org, and I'd love to buy you coffee. But guys, pay attention. Jesus is inviting us into the relationship that he has with the Father, which is interdependent, and it's not something we understand. It's why our marriages struggle. It's why our business relationship struggles, because we don't live this, and Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to experience the unity that he has for the Father and with the Father. It means that the call of Christians is to be conformed to his image, that we're all aiming at the same target. Church, I believe that what we aim at is actually what shapes us. What we aim at actually shapes us. Here's what Jesus says. Here's my hope for them, that they would be found in you, God that we would be found in Christ, that we would be a community with a common master and that we're aiming at following him as he sits on the throne of our hearts, that that would be the unity. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Part of what Jesus is saying, this is for the yet-to-believe world. I want them to be one as you and I are one because if they would be one, the yet-to-believe world, which have you noticed the yet-to-believe world fights with each other all the time? Have you noticed, is that not true in Orange County, just in NorCal? Like, I am faithfully 
saddened by how broken we are as humanity. My wife calls it umpire leadership, that every call makes somebody happy and somebody ticked. All the time. It doesn't even matter what we're talking about. I just find humans able to fight over everything. The color of the sky, the Dodgers, the angels. Like, you can pick something to fight over all the time, and yet the yet-to-believe world will see our unity, Jesus tells us, and they will wonder, how do you have unity in this world? How do you have that? And that will give God glory. Don't misunderstand me. Unity does not mean uniformity. There's diversity in unity, but the unity is around what? God's glory and who sits on the throne of our heart. That's our focus. That's what we take aim. That's what we shoot for, and that's what we shoot at. Church, do you all know that you're a part of the choir at RCC? Did you know that? Is that isn't that true? We've talked about this. Now, again, you're like, wait, wait, wait. I didn't sign up for the choir. Well, too bad. We set the rules. Once you walked in the room, you were a part of the choir. And that doesn't mean we all sing the same notes. There's not a uniformity to our unity, but there's a focus. We're singing the same words. We're following the same conductor. We're following the same master that sits on the throne of our heart. And so as a choir, my wife came to faith later in life, and I still remember her talking about how weird it was to come to church because everyone's singing these songs, and some people are raising their hands, and some people look mad. That, we'll deal with that another day. But she's like, I don't know what they're doing, but I'm drawn into it. She was not drawn into the preacher's words. You know why? Because they're confusing. Jesus actually tells that to the disciples. Hey, you don't even understand what I'm talking about yet. Why? Because I don't sit on the throne of your heart yet, so it's not going to make sense until the Father makes it make sense through the work of the Holy Spirit. As a church, we focus 50 times a year on believers to train you to be sent out. But a couple times a year, we'll have yet-to-believe people come to church. If you're yet-to-believe, thanks for being here today. That's so cool. We're a jacked-up group of people. And it's easy for me to say because I don't live here. But I still feel a part of here. We're broken. We're desperate. We're dependent. We're sinners saved by grace. We're saints who still struggle with sin but God. And so we sing this song that to the yet-to-believe world seems weird. Like, I don't understand why you can be happy. Your marriage is just as jacked up as mine on some level. But on another level, I know the final score, and so I persevere. So I don't give up. So I continue to be faithful. I continue to lean in. And so here's what Jesus says. Father, would they all be one just as you and I are one? Would they have a unity in the midst of their diversity that actually caused them to never give up, to keep leaning in? Now, as we read the text today, I wonder, did you see yourself in the text at all? Now, please hear my heart. Before I left Southern California, I used to teach at Biola University, and I used to teach this class called hermeneutics, how to read the Bible. And I would appeal to our students I think Todd does a great job as a preacher, all of your teaching team. My heart for you is to understand that the book was not written to you. It's written for you, church, but it's not written to you. You're actually not on the pages of Scripture most of the time. As, as, as Jesus inspires through the work of the Holy Spirit, John, to write this, it's for the early church that they might have a clarity of who Jesus is and faithfully follow him. It's not written to you. It's for you. It matters for you. But you're not in the text. Now, that being said, I don't want to contradict everything I ever said in hermeneutics class. But do you see yourself on the text today? Look at the verses. I do not ask. This is Jesus talking to the Father. I don't pray to you, Father, for these only. He talked about the church. That was R2. That was the first part, the middle part of John 17. No, no, no. I also ask for those who in the future will believe in me through their word that they may be one just as you and I, Father, are one, you and me and I and you, that they may also be in us so that the world, yet to believe world, may someday believe that you have sent me. Now, 
When this was written, when it was prayed by Jesus, I believe that John gets this opportunity to write this down for us. Hypothetically speaking, 2,023-ish years later, at the ends of the earth, which for Jerusalem would be where? Your Belinda. Who might in the future be people that who will come to believe because other people lived out their faith and followed Jesus? Who might some of those people be? Well, I call them RCC. I call them people 2,020 some odd years after Jesus prays this prayer that will believe. And so church, just please hear me. On some level, RCC, you are an answer to this prayer right here. I don't know about you, but I am not Jewish. I'm a Gentile. I was told by the grace of God from other people who came before me, and that's what Jesus prays. Jesus just simply prays, Father, would you do a work in the church through the power of your Holy Spirit to make them unified, to make them one as you sit on the throne of their hearts so that in the future more people would experience more joy in relationship with you? And I just think that's cool. Drew Chapman's family is the fruit of that prayer. We, RCC, are the fruit of that prayer. We are unified with a common master, not only unified with a common master, but also a common mission. He goes on, he says this, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they might be one, unified as you, Father, and I are one, interdependent together, I and them, you and me, that they might become perfectly one. Church, I want to pause and just focus here for a minute. Do we start to recognize that he has called us to be one, that the unity he gives us is a gift it's a gift. What does that mean, the glory of God? I don't know about you, but I have a hard time explaining the glory of God. You just got to see it. It's like the Grand Canyon. You see it, and then you go, that's it. You hear the symphony, and you go, that's it. I, I, that's it. And you experience it, you see it, and you want other people to experience it too. See, our focus as a church, the glory priority is on the glory of God. And then we get together, and that's all we care about. We're focused, we're consumed by the glory of God. But have you noticed that you shouldn't necessarily be a part of celebrations that are single-man sports? Here's what I mean by that. Have you ever tried to chest bump yourself before? It's just awkward. In fact, in John 15, he tells his disciples, I want you to experience the joy of Jesus. I want you to experience it together because the joy gets doubled in one another. Have you ever gone to a party that was just for yourself? Like, that's weird. And, and let's be honest, you should probably put on your connect card because some of you right now are like, that sounds really nice. I'd like to go to a party by myself. <laughs> like, that's not what we're made for. We are designed by the creator of the cosmos to be in community together with a common master and a common mission that our Sunday morning gatherings are focused on celebrating the glory of God, that they are family reunion, that we are dead men and women walking. We were dead in our sin, but God makes us alive in Christ. So when we get together on a Sunday, please forgive Todd or me or anybody if they're just really sweaty in the pulpit or if they're running around or jumping. Why? Because we were dead but God makes, made us alive, and that makes us what, church? Happy. At least me and Mike Boblet. It makes us happy. We were dead, but God made us alive. We've been given the glory of God. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. God gave it to us as a gift. And I just believe most gifts are best received together. They're best received in community and please hear me, one of my fears as I live in this world, and I see it all the time, when there's a limited commodity of things, you know what we do as humans? We fight for it. Like hypothetically speaking, I, I did fly southwest down here, but hypothetically speaking, they canceled my flight, which they didn't, I got here. And then they said, guys, we actually have three more seats available on this flight. What happens in the airport at that point? We throw down. 
We fight, we push. You see growing men push babies down. Like you laugh because it's true and you're embarrassed because it was your husband. When there's a limited commodity of something, we fight for it. Guys, pay attention when the text says, the glory of God is not limited. It was purchased and it was given. The glory of God was purchased for you in the grace of God through the person of Jesus and it was given to you by grace you have been saved, not of yourself, lest anyone would boast. It was a gift the glory of God was given to you through Jesus so that we would be unified, not just that he sits on the throne of our heart, but also the mission that he sends us out on. That's our focus. Nothing else matters. The glory of God is not a limited commodity. It's eternal. It's what heaven will be about. You don't have to fight for it. He already fought for it. He purchased it. He gave it to you. And so on Sundays, here's my prayer for you, RCC. We don't forget as Jesus prays for us that he's also the one that is saying, I've already done the work for you too. So may our Sunday gatherings be about remembering the gospel, the glory of God that was given to you and the glory that actually unifies us, I and them, you and me, that we may be perfectly one so that our unity matters, so that the yet-to-believe world would know that you sent me and you love them even as you love me. Can we just pause for a moment? Church, you are loved. You are loved as you are, where you are, not because you earned it or deserved it, because he made you. Church, we don't pick our parents. My kids remind me of that all the time. And I remind them they did nothing to birth themselves. Neither did I. But they were given the gift of life. And they are loved because they are God's. Church, that's you. Now, please hear me. Our job is not to receive that love. Our job is to actually receive and then reflect it. So Jesus' prayers for us is simply this. Father, would they know that their identity is in you as son or daughter of the king? Would you unify them? And would the unity that you give them compel them to go out into the world because they have not a limited commodity, an eternal commodity of your glory and of your love? Jesus prayed that we would be loved by God in the same way that Jesus was loved by God. If that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. And all that we've done to reject his love, he loves us, he loves us, he loves us in his prayer for you. And pay attention to that. Jesus is your prayer warrior. Jesus sits to the right hand of the Father and he prays for you and here's his prayer. Father, would they know how loved they are that you have sent me and love them even as you have loved me? Is anyone else just blown away by the grace of God? that he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. The best gifts are given and then they're actually shared. Verse 24, Jesus goes on and he prays for our unity in him. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, that they would be with you. You, you know, our, our vision statement is to build joyful communities of faith, plural. But our mission statement as a church, anybody know what it is? It's on the screen. That we would actually enjoy God together. We would recognize our unity, that that is the mission that God has given us, to enjoy him, to just be with him. When we say there's more joy in Jesus, please hear me. That does not mean that your marriage is perfect. Your marriage isn't perfect from the moment that you joined it. That's a you thing. If you want a perfect marriage, don't join it. You will mess it up. But God will work through it. Pay attention to what the text says. 
I desire, Father, that they who you have given me would be with me. Jesus wants you to have more joy in Jesus. He wants you to be with him. Jesus does not promise you that he will make your marriage perfect. He does not promise you that he'll take away all your financial pains. He does not promise you your kid will never get cancer. What does he promise you? I will be with you in the midst of all the brokenness of this world, and I will be present with you, and I will give you my presence, and then when the day is right, I will redeem you, reconcile, and take you home to my Father in glory. That's what he promises. He says, Father, if you paid attention to his prayer earlier, I skipped over it. There's way too much in the text. I skipped over it. He says, Father, I actually pray that you don't take them out of this world yet. I'm actually okay, Father, if you let them experience some of the rubbish and the brokenness of this world as long as you make sure that they know that I am with them until the end of the age. As long as you make sure that it's clear by the work of you, Holy Spirit, that I am with them, that they might be with me so that they could see my glory. Here's my prayer for you, church, that you can look back over the last couple of months because can you believe it's March already? Like you've already lost all your New Year's resolutions. You've already forgotten whatever you decided in January. You already are like, oh my gosh, it's almost Christmas. <laughs> it's true. But pay attention that you would see his glory. Guys, his glory is everywhere. The problem is you and I are so distracted in this world that we miss it. Easter egg hunts is like one of my favorite things in the world because when the four-year-olds, you put all the Easter egg hunts, and you parents are terrible hiders. Like you put them everywhere. That's like the glory of God. It is everywhere. The problem is we are trained to not see it. We are trained to settle for lesser joys. We are trained to get distracted by the white noise. We call it ESPN. We call it CNN. We call it Fox News. We call it the land of gracious living. Again, I have way more time to be focused on the glory of God because the giants stink, the warriors aren't showing up, and the Niners didn't make the Super Bowl. It's a gift because I'm not distracted to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. That's our mission, to enjoy God together, to receive his glory, to see the glimmers of God and to enjoy him. He goes on in the text, he says, this way, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, Father. And these know that you have sent me, these disciples, and I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known to them that the love with which you have loved them might be in them and that I might be in them, and that now I see that I am a sent one on mission. One of the things Jen and I do is when we go on vacations, typically with Southwest Airlines, is we pull out the napkin and we call it napkins of grace. We just take a moment to look back on the past and say, where have we seen God move? just to get us to this point. It's a, it's a common thing that we do as a couple because it helps us see his glory. It's not that his glory wasn't there before. It's that I was distracted to it. It's that he knows me and he wants to know me. That's one of the things I would tell people when I went and planted a church. I'm like, guys, you do understand that my church pays me to not be their pastor in Southern California. That's what it means to be a church planter. I got funded by a church in Yorba Linda. Like, where's Yorba Linda? It's close to Disneyland, but it's not that close because traffic is awful. Like I tell people, like, I am nothing special. My church literally pays me to not go to your Belinda. But the guy that I follow is incredibly special. He changed the world on Good Friday between noon and three, and he offers an opportunity for you and me to be loved, to be known, and to be sent. And that's all people are looking for. They're looking for those things. And so I get to a moment with Jen to remember the glimmers of glory. Does anyone else here want to see a fire by night and a cloud by day? That's what God does to his people. He just shows up. 
faithfully over and over and over again. And what do we do as his people? Like, we get the Ten Commandments and they worship the golden calf. That's what we do. We are not faithful, but thankfully our relationship with the Father is not about our faithfulness, but about his. And so at this prayer from Jesus, John pulls back the curtain and says, here's the heart of Jesus. You want to know the heart of Jesus? Glory of God. Make them one, Father. And send them, because there's a whole world in the future and in the present right now that doesn't yet know the joy that you offer. And so I want to give us a moment right now to just pause and to say, how are you and I living out this R cubed? It's what Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for you that you would experience R cubed. He gave it to you in his lasting words in John 15, and now he prays it for you in John 17. So I want to just give you a moment right now to sit and to open your hands and to talk to the Spirit. You're already sitting, so you're halfway there. Well done, church. Would you just open your hands? It's just a posture that I like to pray with. It's a posture of surrender. It's a posture of just simply saying, okay, God, I know you're here. We've sung about your glory. We've heard about your word. We've even heard a story of a family that wants to pursue that over everything else. God, I want that to be true of me too. I genuinely believe if we fail to plan, then we plan to fail. And your week is going to get away from you if you don't stop right now and start it this way. Spirit of God, what do you have for me? I grew up way too often in the church thinking, God, what do you want from me? And I miss that it's actually he's has something for me. So just take a moment right now and the simple your heart, just say, God, here's my R cubed. Here's my following of you, deepening with you, life changes other believers, engage with the yet to believe. And just take a couple minutes and pray and listen to the Spirit. Spirit of God, speak to us. We are listening. Jesus is our prayer warrior. He prays this for you. He prays this over you. He invites us to live our cubed. He invites us to faithfully follow him. And church, I want to encourage you. For me personally, I'm really just a follower of Jesus. I'm a satisfied customer in Jesus. The great theologian Tommy Boy said it really well. The best salesmen are actually satisfied customers. That's who they are. Guys, I've experienced the grace of God, sometimes through you, through cancer, through a messed up marriage, through my sin, through what I deserve, which is separation from him. I've experienced the grace of God, and I just want everyone I come in contact with to experience it too. Now, please hear me. I am a beggar that has found food. I am a satisfied customer. But one of the the deals for for Southwest is they miss the customer. But church, please hear me. Don't focus on the customer. They're never happy. Focus on the king. Focus on the king and who he is to you and for you. Church, I wear clothes to remind me that prayer is the work. You know why? Because I forget. Because I get distracted with strategy. 
I get distracted with the warriors. I, I prayer alarms. You guys set prayer alarms around here, Stephen? 9.38? I set a prayer alarm. Why? Because by 9.30, I've forgotten the why. I've forgotten the what. I've forgotten what matters most, which is lost people finding Jesus. Because I have a tendency to creep onto the throne of my heart. And so, church, please hear me. May we be people that repent regularly because we put ourselves on the throne of our heart, because we settle for lesser joys, because we don't abide because we look at other things in our life, may we start to understand that for all of us as the church, we've been given the good life. I think that's the big idea, John, to live our cube. That's the good life. The good life, in fact, he tells us, I, I write these things. I came to the world that you might have life and have it abundantly. In John 20, this is my thesis statement for the book, but these things are written so that you, church, might believe that Jesus is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have what? Church, the world is looking for life. May we start actually being people that point to our Jesus who satisfies us. The other thing, may we be a church on some level that just tells our stories regularly. Like, I, I don't know, Drew, you've got a great name, first name, middle name, overrated, but great first name. Guys, I, I just want people to fully recognize that we tell stories of God's grace to us. We don't tell stories where we're the hero because we're not the hero. If anything, we're the villain. But God is the hero and he makes a way. May we as a church be people that tell stories regularly. May it happen through our singing. May it happen through our songs. May it happen through our sermons. May it happen in our life groups. If you're not in a group, church, get in a group. You need it. And someone in the group needs you. It's God's design. Make them one, Father, as you and I are one. Give them a unity around our identity in you. I read something a couple months ago, and it was great. It was a gal who said, you know, I really thought that by going to church, I would get an epidural to block all the pain. Now, I've never had a baby before, but epidural sound like a good deal. Amen? I really thought if I went to church, I'd get an epidural, and it would block all the pain of this world. Church, please hear me. The kingdom of God, the church, we're not called to be an epidural. We're actually called to be a midwife. A midwife is just with people in their pain. Church, you're going to have someone in your church this year that's going to get diagnosed with cancer. You're going to have someone in your church lose their job. You're going to have someone in their church maybe lose a child. Please hear me. God has put us together in the context of communitas, common master, common mission, to be loved, to receive love, and to give love, to be with people in the midst of their pain. I pray that's true because that's what Jesus did with us. That's what he does for us. That it's his kingdom, and he calls us to receive that and to be that for other people. So that's all of us personally. May we be people that are living the good life. Here's the second implication. May we corporately bear fruit. May we RCC be focused. Your vision statement is to build joy-filled communities, plural. Every family unit here, every church plant there. Every place in Wisconsin or place in Sacramento, may we as a church be committed to building joy-filled communities of faith. Is Jesus' heart for the yet-to-believe world that saints would be sent and that they would take up residence. It's not that we plant churches, that the gospel is planted in our heart and that every neighborhood that you live in, you are the church planter in your neighborhood. You are the pastor there. You are the sent one. That's what I believe ministry actually is, that we're sent to be everyday missionaries. Why? Because there's a truckload of people that have no interest in coming to church on a Sunday morning, but they live in your neighborhood whether they like you or not. You are sent to them. 
The other day someone came to church for the first time at Vintage and I met him early when I moved and he just simply said, I will never go to church and he showed up one day. See, often our invites are actually for nine years later. We don't know what God's doing. He's the Lord of the harvest, not us. We don't have to do anything. We have to be faithful. We have to be satisfied customers and point people to the joy of Jesus. The other day, I ran into a guy. He's like, hey, I went to church at Christmas at Vintage. And I'm like, cool. He was on someone's pray watch list. He just came. He said, look, you know, because of certain things in my life, certain lifestyle choices that I've had, whenever I go to church all three times in 60 years, I always feel looked at, but I never feel seen. At Vintage, I felt seen. Why? Because all of us are yet to believe or believers. Sinners saved by grace, saints who struggle with sin. May we see people in our neighborhood, in our soccer teams, in our places of worship. May we see them. May we go to them. May we be people that build joy-filled communities of faith. This is a picture of Presley. Presley never went to church before until a woman's bunco night. God uses woman bunco night. Somebody say amen. Because you guys have one coming up, right? Would you view your bunco night as a chance for Presley? Presley had never gone to church before. Will's wife invited her to bunco night. She came to church, then diagnosed with stage four cancer. Comes to faith through bunco. Now, it wasn't through bunco. You don't come to faith by rolling dice. I know it's in the Bible, but whatever. Like, you come to faith through people living on mission, finding more joy in Jesus, and inviting friends to bunco come to faith because God's preparing you to meet him face to face and Presley gives her life to Christ, diagnosed with stage four cancer, gets baptized before she leaves for treatment and now tells her story to everyone in the hospital where she gets a chance to. She's a way better preacher than Will. Will's our lead pastor in Placerville. Maybe you don't know that. You guys are planning a church in Placerville. Did you know that? We planted a church in Eldorado Hills. Will's been on our staff. We're sending to Placerville right now. You guys have a granddaughter, RCC. How cool is that? Will's just living on mission hosting bunco nights, being a little league coach, doing, praying, watching, and stepping. Why? Because it's God's kingdom come. It's his will be done. It's his house, and Jesus builds the house. Would you stand with us as we worship? Let's celebrate him right now. Let's do what Drew had said before. We are God's choir, so let's sing this. We were the beggars. We were the Walk the clock. 
So again, I, I love Sunday gatherings. I love coming together for the family reunion, dead men walking, women that have been raised to new life in Christ. But the best part of Sundays is not that we gather, it is that we scatter. Because Presley's in your neighborhood. Literally or metaphorically, she's there. And one of you right now is like, how does he know that? Because in the room this size, someone's got Presley as a neighbor. And if you don't know it, that's because you haven't met your neighbors yet. But there's people that are looking for joy. Here's Jesus' prayer for you. Father, make them one in the pursuit of my glory. Father, unite them around the mission. And would they go be the living proof for loving God. Church, as we leave this place, I'm going to clap. I got you. I, again, forgive me. I feel like I've been here enough. I clap. Because, again, it's the best part. We've huddled as a family. Now we clap to break huddle to go meet Presley. Go give Presley Jesus this week. Go in peace and serve the Lord. And everybody said, amen.